Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Have you ever heard that phrase, man, that's against the law? You go, of course I've heard that phrase, that's against the law. I mean, I think it's safe to say that every one of us has heard that at one time or another. Hey, don't do that, that's against the law. And as I was thinking about our text today, I decided to see what exactly is against the law in our country. Like, I get it, right? When when the light is red and you go through, that is breaking the law. That's against the law. You Red means, it doesn't mean go faster, church. It means stop, okay? So I thought, well, what are, what are some stuff? What are some stuff? And I've really found some crazy, wacky laws that are still in the books today. You go, well, like what? Well, labor with me for just a moment. I think you'll enjoy some of these laws. Number one, did you know in Pennsylvania, the penalty for cursing is 45 cent fine for cursing. However, if God is mentioned, the curse goes up to 67 cents. That's in the law. You're like, no, it isn't. It's true. It's true. In Utah, check this out, the law requires that daylight be seen between two dance, that the law requires that daylight be seen between two dancing partners. You go, what does that mean? It's against the law, so no daylight in Utah. You have to dance. You're like, you're kidding. I'm not kidding. These are real. Look them up. In San Francisco, you are not permitted to carry a basket suspended from a pole. That's against the law. In Seattle, Washington, it is unlawful for a goldfish to ride. It is unlawful for a goldfish to ride in Seattle, Washington, unless they lie still. That's in the books. I'm just like, are you serious? Michigan law once required taking a census of bees every winter. How are you going to, how are you going to count bees? It's in the books. I'm not kidding you. In Mississippi, guys, it's against the law for elephants to drink beer. I'm, I'm telling you. In California, the California Penal Code prohibits the shooting of any animal except a whale from an automobile. So if you can shoot a whale from an automobile, I guess that's not a, against the law, right? Here's another one. Check this out. In Kansas City, Missouri, children are prohibited by law from buying cap pistols. You know those little cap pistols? However, the laws does not restrict them from buying shotguns. You're like, no, these are crazy. In Minnesota, a Minnesota law requires that men and women's underwear not be hung on the same clothesline at the same time. That is against the law. You, you, you guys are looking at me like, I don't believe, I'm telling you, these are laws that are in the book. Now you go, well, Ben, why do you mention these wacky laws? Well, because I'm about to point out that some of these wacky Jewish laws in Jesus' day, it was just, I mean, can you, can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine for a moment that you are doing laundry and you don't have a dryer and you decide to hang your laundry outside on a line. Next thing you know, the police show up and they fine you because it's against the law to hang both. You're going, that's crazy. That is nuts. I'm not paying this. This is nuts. And yet in Jewish day, they had some crazy, wacky Jewish 
laws. Now listen, guys, we are all inclined to look at these laws and go, man, that's funny. That's just crazy. Are you serious? They're ridiculous. But you need to understand, to the Jewish authorities back in Jesus' day, Every one of their laws, how, no matter how ridiculous it was, it made sense at one point or another to the lawmakers. That's why they became law. And you're like, okay. Like, let me illustrate it this way. As parents, right, we should be able uh, to understand how this happens. You go, well, what do you mean, Ben? Well, we would love to be able to give our children a very general principle and guideline and trust them to follow it. Can I get an Amen. Okay, but for you go, well, for example, here's what we wish we could say to our kids. Just be home at a reasonable hour. You go, well, that's not, what's that? The trouble comes when our children do not agree with us what a reasonable hour is. You're thinking a reasonable hour might be 10 o'clock. They're thinking one is just perfectly fine. And so here's the rub, guys. Here's the rub. As parents, we have to clarify. We have to actually lay down and we have to give an exact time when they should be home. We have to take a step back and go, no, no, no. See, we, we're disagreeing on what reasonable is, so you need to be home at 10 o'clock. Oh, man, I can't believe this. As we come to our text today, I want to remind you, guys, that each and every law the Jewish authorities made probably came out of someone who was unwilling to abide by the principles. Thus, the religious leaders took a step back, said, okay, we don't understand what reasonable is, so now we need to force, and and more and more, something very specific to point to an unbelievable net-straining law. That's how they, you go, wow, wow, okay. So what I'd like to do, guys, this morning is I want to give you a sample of exactly what against the law is in Jesus' day, on the Sabbath day. This is what is against the law. Here are some regulations. I won't give you all of them, but let me, let me give you some regulations the Jews had in our Lord's time. Okay? Number one, check this out. On the Sabbath, okay? Everybody understand that. On the Sabbath, a man may borrow his fellow jars of wine or jars of oil, provided that he does not say to him, lend them to me. This would imply a transaction, and the transaction might involve writing, and writing was forbidden. So it was against the law for you to go say, hey, can I borrow some jars? Lend them to me. Oh, well, then it requires a transaction. You guys see where we're going with this. Check this out. On the Sabbath, you guys with me? you might have an excruciating toothache. It's the Sabbath. You go, well, Ben, what's the Sabbath? Now, remember, 6 o'clock Friday night to 6 o'clock Saturday night is considered the Sabbath, okay? So you might have an excruciating toothache, and you would you are not allowed to put vinegar on your teeth to alleviate the toothache. That's against the law. But you could take vinegar with your food in the ordinary course of affairs, and the rabbis would go, well, if he's just going to put it in, in food, and if he's healed, he's healed. But if you took vinegar and you put it on your teeth, that was, help me church, against the law. On the Sabbath, check this out. If you were a Jewish sailor caught in a storm after sunset on Friday, 
and refused to touch the helm, although you were threatened with certain death. You could not touch the helm to get you safely home. You're like, no way. On the Sabbath, cooking in most, in all forms, boiling, roasting, baking, frying, is forbidden on the Sabbath. In particularly, when the temperature is raised about 45 degrees centigrade, which is 113 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, some of you women going, man, let's, I don't have to cook. I'm in. But it was against the law for you to cook on the Sabbath. You go, what did you do? You would cook earlier. You'd have all the food ready and prepped. And when the Sabbath came, you didn't even lift a finger. You guys, you guys with me? Okay. The preparation of food is greatly affected by the Sabbath. You go, what do you mean? You, it is against the law for you to squeeze lemon into a glass of iced tea. But it's not against the law to squeeze a, pe- a piece of lemon onto a piece of fish. Isn't that silly? Isn't that silly? You've got a piece of lemon, couldn't put it. It's against the law. Don't put any iced tea. But you can put it in your fish. One is prohibited from transporting goods on the Sabbath. Now, listen. According to the Mishnah, the Shabbat chapter 7 verse 2, it lists 39 classes of work forbidden on the Sabbath. The last being taken out from one dominion or domain into another. An interesting regulation provides that if a man took out, quote, a living man on a couch, he is not guilty by the reason of the couch since the couch is secondary. This clearly implies that carrying of the couch by itself is guilty, and that is against the law. In other words, if a man is taken out on a couch, that's not against the law. You see what I'm saying? But if, but because the couch is secondary, but if he were to pick up the couch and walk with it, that would be against the law. And they have all of these wacky, wacky laws in the Sabbath, and that's where we left Jesus last week. You go, what happened? If you recall, he had just healed a man who was sick with the palsy, couldn't move, okay? Jesus realized that he had been sick for 38 years. And I want you to picture this man who was is, who is at the pool of Bethesda, and he's been sick 38 years. you got to understand, when we think of somebody sick, we think that his muscles are just as strong. We think well, he was probably very frail, and he couldn't walk, and he probably had just bones with a little bit of skin on him. Why? Because he just couldn't, you, he hadn't been able to use his muscles and Jesus comes in and you're thinking what are the chances that Jesus would come by and minister to the men if you were here you recall the story it was in John chapter 5 verse 5 and 6 it says a certain man who was there had an infirmity 38 years and when Jesus saw him lying there he knew he had already been in that condition for a long time Jesus goes up to him and says this thing he says what do you want to be made well and I find that very interesting Why? Guys, picture the scene. They're at this pool, okay, and here's what tradition held. Tradition held that if the stirring of the water, okay, whoever got into the pool first would be healed. And so this man obviously had to have somebody take him, put him by the water, and he would sit there and listen. And I mean, I could just not imagine my heart would break. You have all these sick people, all these blind people, all these lame people, all of them sitting by this pool hoping that the water would move, and then they would wrestle each other, if you will, to try to get in the pool, and the first one in, yay, I win, I'm healed. Now, if you recall, the end of verse 3 and verse 4 were not written in the in an original manuscript, okay? 
the writer sort of put that in later and said, well, let's cut, this is kind of why they're there. But we have to take it in context and go, I could see that. I don't, I think it goes against God's heart of, of healing to try to have people fight to see who would get in the water first, don't you? Nonetheless, that's the scripture, right? So Jesus comes up to this man, he's laying on this bed and he says, do you want to be made well? And I'm thinking, Jesus, context, Jesus, 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 come here. I'm one of the disciples. I'm here. I'm going, Jesus, he's by the pool. Of course he wants to be made well. He wants to get it. Nobody's helping him. But then I started to think about it, guys. And, and last week we talked about it, right? Why would Jesus ask such a question? I mean, of course the man wants to be made well. But then I thought, perhaps he doesn't. Pastor? See, not everybody wants to be made well. Here's my thought. There are a lot of people, listen, there are a lot of people in this world who find their identity in their sickness or in their drama. You guys tracking with me? I started to think about it. I'm going, okay, so why do people, why are people so full of drama? And the problem is, is that's where they find their identity. That's who they find who they are. And of course, Jesus would, do you want to be made? I don't want to be made well. I like exactly who I am. And I'm just the drama per, and it, you know, and what, or whatever sickness it might be. And you go, Pastor, I'm not sure I understand what you mean. But I mean, think about this, guys. When people take a good look at their lives, they might take a step back, accept who they are, and live that way, even if it's not healthy. I love the fact that Jesus would ask every one of us, are you sure you want to be made whole? Are you sure you want to be made well? Because there's a lot of folks, guys, even in the church that are going, I like exactly who I am right now. Yeah, but you're not healthy. You're not living healthy. There's drama in your life and, and you're always kind of pursuing that drama. And if you're not, if you don't have a crisis going on in your life, you don't seem to be living. It's like, wow. I think a lot of folks, guys, find their identity in whatever crisis they're in each week. Guys, some people enjoy being pitied and dependent on others. On others. Well, I want you to note his response. The sick man answered, sir. He calls him sir. He doesn't call him rabbi or teacher. Right? He doesn't know who Jesus is. He says, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water stirred. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus looks at him without, a, without raising an eyebrow. Notice what he says. He says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. Now, here's the last line I want you to see in your Bibles, guys. And that day was the Sabbath, the Sabbath. And this is where we pick up our story for today, okay? Jesus heals the man, and he heals him on the Sabbath. Now, you already know, based upon our conversation this morning, that is against the law. You already know. Why? Because Jesus didn't just say, you're healed. Get up. Start walking. Jesus gave him specific instructions. Rise, 
take your bed and walk. And the man just, he just did. Now, understand, I don't think the Pharisees were upset because Jesus healed the man. You know what they were upset about? They were upset that he told them to carry his bed on the Sabbath, which trips me out. Think about it. They're more upset, okay? That, why? Because it was considered working, and that was against the law. That was against the law. So if you're taking notes, guys, we'll have two confrontation conversations, two of them. The first one, the Jewish authorities are going to confront the healed man. They're going to go straight to the source. What's going on? And then at the end of our study, they'll, will basically, will, will, they will directly confront Jesus. So we're going to have the healed man and we're going to have Jesus. Everybody with us? So we're picking it up in verse 10 as we continue. Here's what you need to keep in mind. Okay. It is the Sabbath day. Everybody understand the Sabbath, right? Friday from six o'clock till Saturday at six o'clock. You couldn't do any type of work. Let me just give you one more that was silly, but you'll understand. If you were to spit on the Sabbath day and it moved the dirt, that was considered plowing. That was against the law. You could not work. So again, they're going to get super, super upset. Notice verse 10 with me, church. It says, the Jews therefore said to Jesus, said to the man who was cured, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to break this down. We need to do some work. Why? Well, if you're taking notes, you need to understand that the Jews here, it's just used in Jews, but it's actually the Jewish authorities, okay? It's the heads of the nation and it's possibly the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. Okay, these were the lawmakers and law keepers. So all of a sudden, Jesus is at this feast. There's people everywhere. He goes to the pool of Bethsaida. He heals a man. Take up your bed and walk. And the next thing you know, the Jewish authorities are all over that. They're all over that. So carrying furniture was prohibited on the Sabbath. You go, why? They believe it broke the fourth commandment. So you've got to understand, they're not just sitting there with their arms crossed going, they're highly fumed. They're upset. Are you kidding me? Now, listen, you go to the pool of, of Bethsaida today, it's just this big deep and you're like, I don't get it, but you need to understand there's a couple things you need to put in your mind. It was about a throne, a stone's throw away from the temple area, right? Where the, where the temple would be, the outer courts. From here to the road is about where it would be. So you go, okay, so he was close to the temple. Everyone in Bethsaida was sick around the pool and all of a sudden this dude gets up and he's carrying his bed, his mat. Everybody's going to see that. He's going to stand out like a sore thumb, right? So all of a sudden they're like, what's, what? did you see that? Today's the, right? Some of us, today's the Sabbath, right? What day is today? Today's the Sabbath. Today's the Sabbath. Yeah, look at him. That's against the law. It's against the law. It's against the law. Don't we do that too? Don't we do that too when somebody breaks the law? We're, we're, the, we're like, hey, did you see that guy run the red light? He just broke the law. See him? He broke, he broke the law. Got to kill somebody. We do that all the time, right? You're doing 75 on the highway. Somebody comes past you. Zoom! He's breaking the law. Hope he gets a ticket. 
Don't we say that? Come on. I'm like, wow, what great marriage. I hope he gets a ticket because I'm righteous and I'm keeping the law. That's what they're doing. We do that too. Those of you that are laughing, you've probably done it. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, you've done it. You've done that. Here's my thought. I wonder, church, why nobody noticed the men that had been sick for 38 years that he was now healed and walking and even carrying his bed. I wonder why nobody goes, dude, look, oh, wow. That's amazing. You're healed. I wonder, I wonder why nobody just, nobody, here's why. Listen, listen, guys. Sometimes we get caught up in tradition and religion that we miss the miracle. You ever hear that saying, you're set in your ways? Sometimes we get so set in our ways, guys, that we miss what God is wanting to do in our lives. I'm just like, wow. I wonder, I wonder if, if you or I would be the first to recognize that he was healed or would we be the first to recognize that he was breaking the law? And I wonder if that would just show, show a little bit of our hearts. Jesus was about people, guys. Jesus was all about people. He Listen, he came, he, didn't, he, he, he kept the Ten Commandments. He loved the law, but he, he, the law had its purpose, is to show that we are need for Christ. But Jesus was about the law. And when we as Christians, guys, here's the application. When we as Christians come into the fold, we sometimes, we begin walking with Jesus for a while that we forget about people and we just concentrate on the rules. And when somebody gets saved, we go, amen, that was great. Yeah, great service, amen. And we, and Satan, the train's coming. And we miss, and we miss the fact that there was a person who needed Jesus. Note what they're saying with me, guys. They're saying, mister, it's against the law for you to carry your bed. You are sinning. And we don't care that you're healed, and we don't care that you've been sick for 38 years. Stop breaking our law. Now, I want you to note, note the conversation. He's, they're going to confront him and note the conversation. Okay, verse 11. So he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Now, Captain Obvious is he doesn't know who Jesus is. He didn't, he didn't seek Jesus. He didn't wait. Hey, it's Jesus. We, we know that when Jesus walked, there were people, Jesus, son of David. And he didn't know. He's just at the pool. And he says, the man, he who made me well said to me, take up your body. Then I, and, and so they asked him, notice, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Notice, guys, notice the, the dialogue. I want you to notice the dialogue in verse 12. I want you to look at 12 again. Underline it. Why? Because it's very significant. Then they asked the man who was cured, who is the man, notice it's capital, who said to you, take up your bed and walked. But the one who was healed did not know 
who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Now, again, we've got to do some work, okay? Here's the first thing we need to understand. What does it mean when he said, made well? Well, okay? He who made me well, okay? It's made up of two Greek words that we really need to grasp, okay? Because I want you to see. The first one is actually huggies, H-U-G-I-E-S, and it means healthy, it means well, and it means of a sound mind, okay? So, so that's the first word that he employs, but there's a, there's a second word that kind of comes alongside it, and it's, a, it's oxano, A-U-X-A-N-O, and it's a verb, it's in the verb tense, and it means to grow and enlarge, to grow and enlarge. You go, so what happened? He who answered, he answered them, he who made me well. What does that mean? Jesus made me well. He made me healthy. He made me, my mind healthy, and he caused the muscles to grow and enlarge to where I was normal. And you're like, whoa. Because think about it, right? Jesus could have said, hey, walk, and you hadn't walked for 40 years. Guess what? You're not just going to get up. You're going to be like, I mean, there's not a whole lot unless Jesus put the muscular, the muscles back in the legs and your spine, and you also had a sound mind. You go, why? Why is that important? Because there's a lot of people, church, that get healed physically, but they don't get healed emotionally or spiritually, and they miss it. They miss it. He who made me complete said to me, take up your bed and walk. Take up your bed and walk. But verse 12 is key. Okay. So this man is healed. But notice, what do they say? Who? Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Who? Here's what I want you to grasp. Okay. The Jewish leaders didn't want to know who healed the crippled man. They wanted to know who told them to carry the bed, his bed on the Sabbath. Can you see the heart of the religious people? They're not interested in, hey, who, who, who made you well? Who, you were crippled. You had palsy. Who, who did this? Why? Because don't you want somebody around that's going to be healing people and restoring their lives? I mean, don't you want that guy? I want that guy in my church. Why? Man, what a great time. Listen, somebody comes in, man, I'm sick. Jesus, boom. No, they're not interested in that. They're interested in who told you to take up your bed and walk. And I wonder, guys, I wonder if this seems strange to the man, the man that was healed. Then you go, why? I wonder, why? I wonder if he was confused. He's looking at them like, excuse me? And you go, why? He's probably thinking, sir, you need to understand, I was carried to the pool today. And if I was not healed, then I would need my friends or family to come and carry me home. Makes sense, doesn't it? That's a lot more work than me carrying my little, little mat. See, in Jesus healing me and sending me home, he was saving more work on the Sabbath, not making more work. And there you go. And there you go. So he's having this dialogue. He's telling them, listen, this is, and, and, and you can see the heart of the religious leaders and you can see the heart of the man. He's just like, he told me to get up and walk. He told me to get up and walk. Verse 14, 
Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, and he said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Now, here's what I find interesting. The temple was about a stone's throw away from here to the street, okay? As a sick man, palsy sick, you could not go into the temple. You could not come through the sheep gate, help me church, and sacrifice a sheep for the atoning of your sins. Now he's healed. Where's the first place he goes? He wants to go up to the temple. Now there's people everywhere because it's a feast. Jesus sees him and he goes up to him and he says, see, he says, you've been made whole. You've been made well. He says, sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Here's, here, here's what we need to grasp. You ready? Jot this down. Jesus actually went and found this man because he was more concerned for his spiritual health than his physical health. Did you see that? He had already healed him. He had healed him physically, but Jesus does not leave us that way. Jesus, in the midst of crowd, went to the man and said, hey, I see that you're walking. He says, "But, but sin no more, lest a worse thing happen to you. Now, to me, I'm like, what could, help me church, what could be worse than being crippled for 38 years? Spending eternity away from God. Eternity, guys. Eternity. Now, most scholars believe, I'm going to give you my opinion, that's why I'm standing up to the side of the pulpit, okay? When I give you my opinion, I stand right here. Most scholars believe that, there, that, that it was this habitual sin that actually caused him to be sick. Most scholars said that he, was, that he was sinning, and so that's why Jesus said, sin no more. But I, I have to stop and I have to go, you know what? I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of habitual sin for me to sin, I find myself going, oh, I can't believe I said that. Oh, I can't believe you do that. Oh, my attitude. And so I just want to work hard not to do that, even though I know I'm going to do that. But he says, don't sin. And here's why. Because lest a worse thing come upon you. And what he's saying this is living a life of sin is worse and will bring a worse result than being crippled for 38 years. He also told that to the woman who was caught in adultery. Do you remember that? We're going to see that in a few weeks. She was caught in adultery, and he says, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Don't, don't, don't be involved in this. Don't be involved in this. You go, what's the difference? You guys ready? You ready? For when, when, here's the difference. There's times when we see the line and we sin, and we feel so bad, and we go, I don't know why I did that. I know, I know it was wrong. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. Let me restore the relationship. And we sin. But there are times, guys, when we actually want to. And it doesn't bother us. And we want to. Now, we're saved by grace. I get that. But I know what sin did to my Savior. My sin put him on the cross, and I want to stay as far away from... Here's, here should be our goal, guys. Let's say that this is the line of sin, okay? Our goal should be to walk so far away from it, we're not even tempted. We're not even tempted. That should be our goal. Here's the point. You ready? Jesus is far more concerned with our spiritual than our physical. 
He died to make sure that we're secure for eternity. And so Jesus tells the man, see, you have been made well. You've been made whole and healthy, and you've got a sound mind. And it also gives us the indication, guys, that the healing was permanent. Go your way and sin no more. Notice verse 15. The man departed and told the Jews that Jesus was the man who made him well. Very interesting. Why? Well, I find out, I find that he doesn't confess Jesus as Lord. He doesn't go, oh, master, Lord, rabbi. But he does confess him as healer. There was never any indication that he knew who Jesus was. So what does he do? He simply goes back to the Jewish leaders and he says, it was Jesus who healed me. It was Jesus. And, and, and I think the fact that he went straight to the Jewish leaders, it, it, it probably showed that he was intimidated uh, basically by the same religious leaders. He felt like, oh, you know, and they probably said, hey, you, you go find who healed you and who told, not even healed, who told you to walk on the Sabbath and you let us know. And he's like, okay. And so he found Jesus, right? And he, then they go back, it was, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. So then we come to the second confrontation conversation. Look at verse 16. For this reason, the Jews, what did they do? They persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. You see, John gives us a good indication of why they wanted to kill Jesus. Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath. And not only, no, notice this reason, for this reason. What reason? He was healing people and he was telling them, take up your bed and walk. He was, he was going against. I find it interesting, guys. I find it interesting that remarkably, the healing seemed to make no difference to those who persecuted Jesus. All they could see was that their religious rule was broken, the rule that went beyond the command of Scripture itself. One commentator by the name of F.F. Bruce says this, quote, inciting others to break the law as they understood it was worse than breaking it oneself. Therefore, they launched a campaign against Jesus, which was not relaxed until his death some 18 months later, end quote. So it was, they're just upset. They're, they're just upset and they persecuted Jesus. And I started looking up that word persecuted. So they're persecuting my Lord and Savior. But I, I, I did some study and I think you'll find this interesting. In the, there's a rule in the study of interpretation called the law of first mention. Whenever you see a Hebrew word or Greek word, you can go back and you can see where it's mentioned the very first time. The very first time this word persecuted is mentioned is actually found in Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, verse 10, where he's giving us the Beatitudes and he says this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen, he's saying, blessed are you guys when you're persecuted, when you follow Jesus. And I thought, that's the first time that word is mentioned. It's the same word they used to persecute Jesus. And I thought, I want to be in that company. I'm in good company. If they're persecuting me, they're persecuting Jesus the same way. And he was God. I thought, Lord, that's the company I want to be in. But he also says this, guy, happy and approved are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake? Now, listen, 
Notice it says for righteousness sake. When you're persecuted for following Jesus. If you're persecuted because you're just, you're just a jerk and you're ugly to people and you're persecuted because that's a whole different story. But if you're following Jesus and people don't like you and they, you, you go, man, blessed am I. Blessed am I. Here's what I find interesting, guys. They sought to kill him. You're like, why are you tripping? Well, these are the these are these are the Sanhedrin. These are the Jewish authorities. They're supposed to be about people, about love. They're supposed to be right. And they're looking and they're going, "You did what? You're inciting people to break the law. You need to die." I was like, "Wow, I'm I'm thinking about this, right? Because the anger and hatred of the religious leaders is difficult to explain, apart from seeing that it had a spiritual root somewhere else." Jesus answers them in verse 17, and Jesus answered them. He says, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. And, and this, is, this just blows them out of the water, okay? You go, why? In verse 17, you know what Jesus just said? Jesus said that he and the father are one. What? What? He just claimed to be God. Now, when you and I read this, he goes, it's, it's, it, it's English, it's like, well, God is working and I'm working. We're working together. In the Greek, in the original, he's going, the Father's working, I'm working, he's working through me, I'm... What? What? You see, we understand that the Jewish people knew perfectly what Jesus was claiming. Look at verse 18. Therefore, the Jews sought to kill do all the more to kill him because not only he broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. John points it out. He says, man, they're upset. They're upset. They are putting a hit out on Jesus because not only did he break the Sabbath by healing someone, but now they're upset because why, church? Because he said, making himself equal with God. Making himself equal with God. We're going to close in just a second, guys. But, but I want to I draw some application. I was thinking about this and I'm going, Lord, I understand. We, we see the healing man and then we see the confrontation. And, and I'm going, God, how does this apply? How does this apply to the single mom who's struggling? How does this apply to those who are physically sick? How does this apply? And here's what we see. We see, we see religious leaders coming in, and no matter what's going on in the man's life, whether he's healed or not, they're upset that he is breaking the Sabbath. And I'm starting to think, guys, listen, in your life, in your life, you need to hear the voice of God, and not the traditions of men. Some, you know, a single mom out there might be thinking, Are you, I am struggling, and, and the world is telling you, you can't do this, that's against the law, you should not think this way, you should be, and you need to say, no, 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 I am not going to listen, I'm going to listen to the God who created me, because I am stronger in him than in anything else. The religious leaders did not have a heart for people. Jesus has a heart for you. 
Jesus wants to see you well. Jesus doesn't care what day it is. He cares about you. And he loves you. I mean, I mean, it's like, wow. You see, next week, guys, we're going to see a 28-verse discourse from Jesus to the Jewish authorities. Jesus isn't going to back down. He's going to say, let's talk about this. I'm going to show you that I am equal with God. I'm, I'm very much a man, Yahshua, but I'm very much the Christos, the Mishak, the Messiah, the Anointed One. I'm fully man and fully God, and I'm going to show you guys. I'm going to show you guys. Guys, the incident in John 5 does two things. First, it discloses the wickedness of unbelieving Jews, especially the unbelieving Jewish leaders. Our text describes a man who'd been handicapped for 38 years. Jesus sees him, takes pity on him, not because he's pious, guys, but because he suffered for so long. Here's what you need to take home with you. Jesus heals this man without even requiring faith of him. And then Jesus seeks the man out, warned him about continuing in his sin. And what does the man do? He informs the Jewish leaders of our Lord's identity. I wonder if he knew that the Jews had already purposed to kill Jesus. If he would have then pointed him out, hey, it's Jesus. Guys, the word of God tells us that we need to, to be believing, not, not unbelieving. We need to trust him. The second thing, guys, in this incident is John's Gospels does, does something very important, guys. It provides an occasion for Jesus to state very, very clearly and very early in the gospel just who he is. Just who he is. I've often heard people say, just who do you think you are? Well, Jesus tells the Jewish authorities who he is. And they don't like it at all. Who do you, who, who is it? Listen, the father's been working and I've been working. Oh, you just did not say that. He goes, yeah, that's who it is. And that's who I am. The most important point of all, ready? Don't miss this. Who Jesus is makes all the difference in the world. The most important question, church, that we can ask ourselves is this. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? John gives us the answer clearly. Jesus is the Son of God who speaks and acts for God and as God. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the only one through whom our sins can be forgiven. He is our only way to heaven. That's who he is. So we have to take a step back in our lives and go, Lord, who are you in my life for real? Are you my everything or are you simply just a part of my life? Am I serving you, Lord, so that I can get some brownie points in heaven and then I can be assured into heaven and that, and that my good will outweigh all of my bad and that's how I'm going to get into heaven? Or is Jesus... 
Is Jesus Christ, is he your own one and only Savior, your Lord, your Master, and your God? Are you fully submitted to him? Are you sold out? Are you living radically? Yo, Pastor, it's just church. Calm down. No, it's more than church, guys. It's eternity. It's eternity. I had a friend of mine come on Saturday, on Friday. He sat in my office and he told me, Cancer's come back. Cancer's come back. And he's crying and he's like, I don't know what to do. And I said, You need to walk so close to Jesus. You need to walk so close to Jesus that if he takes you home, you won't even know. You want to be like Enoch. Enoch and Jesus walk so close that all of a sudden God looks at Enoch and says, Hey, Enoch, we're a lot closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come home? You go, Ben, is that possible? I sure would like to try. I'd like to be so close to my Lord that if the rapture took place or I died, I'm just like, I don't even know what happened. I was just, I've been, I was worshiping the Lord and I was next, I was, wow. Wow. Church, listen, who, who is Jesus to you? Because, because it may not be cancer. But it might be an accident. It may not be an accident. It just might be your time. And, and is your faith and trust in Jesus completely, 100%. Living your life sold out for him. God, listen, jobs, great, man, great mission field. But they're not ultimate. Family blesses us with family, but they're not ultimate. Your walk with Jesus has to be ultimate. We don't want the t-shirt that says, hey, listen, Jesus is my number one. I don't want him to be number one on my pie chart. I want him to be everything. And, and then everything else will fall into place. Is life going to be easy? No. Is the world out there all rainbows and butterflies and no and that's why i need jesus all the more that's why i need him and i need to walk in that faith where where he speaks and i know beyond a shadow of doubt that's my lord speaking and i can take it at his word and there's other times where i need to touch the hem of his garment because i need something from him and then there's times i need to walk and i need to hold on to his legs because that's where i am at i need him but i don't want to look anywhere else guys anywhere else Jesus is about people and he loves you so much take that home today Father we thank you for your word and the truth in your word we love you it's in your name we pray Amen Hey this is Pastor Josh I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email 
to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.